I remember driving in my brother's Camaro. He had a white Camaro, T-tops, red leather interior, and he had a kick-ass sound system in there. Tape deck. Tape deck. No CDs. Tape deck. When we put that thing on, man, you want to talk? That's that's America right there. Yeah. That that is America. You you were you were flying. You were riding an American flag. (laughs) That's exactly what I was doing, Chris. Welcome into a new episode of Get Fiddles and Paradiddles. My name is Chris. My name is John. John, we're on episode 42. I had to go back and look at that because I know we hit our, our episode 40 milestone. I was yep. very excited. I was like, ooh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah we did. Yeah, That's pretty, pretty 40, cool. 42. I feel like yeah. since starting back this uh, this year, even though we're, you know, it's only it's only February, almost mm-hmm. March, like we're just, we're just, we're staying busy. Yeah, man, we are, man. Things are just moving, moving right along. Um, you know, now that, uh, kind of getting into the year, um, just, God, things are starting to kind of, you know, take shape uh, on my end, you know, just we're still working on my stuff and trying to get it, get it finished so I can, you know, get that going. Um, I know you've got some projects you're working on as well too. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. got a little, uh, Kind of a little side project band, uh, doing '90s rock music. It's kind of something that's near and dear to my heart. I know yours as well. Love it. Love um, it. We're '80s and '90s children of, yes. uh, of music, which, of course, uh, we're going to get into that today. Um, Absolutely. Our part three of recording techniques brings us to the '80s. This is going to be a a episode dripping with content. Uh, it's going to be moist. It'll be moist. Moist. And sticky. <laughs> and sticky. <laughs> um, our first two episodes, if you guys are catching us just now, this is uh, yep. technically episode three of a... Uh, John and I can't decide if we're going to do a five-part or if it's yeah, going to be four-part. This is tough, man. It's kind of... You know, when we talked about this in our little pre-production meetings, we we thought we had a, a an a, a arc... I guess. Is that the right word? Chris? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it would be like an arc or at least, you know, an understanding of like under- where we would stop, <laughs> where we would stop. And now it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. Like yeah. the, the, the break, the break line's been cut and we're just going straight downhill at this point. So, and I kind of figured this was going to happen now that we got to the eighties because there's just so good Lord. There's just, so much meat on that bone, Chris. Yeah, yeah. So if you guys uh, are catching us just here on episode three, please go back and, and check out episode uh, one, part one, maybe referred to more as part one, which was where we started in the 60s. Yep. Part two, obviously, 70s. And here we are, part mm-hmm. three, 80s. And John and I have a lot to say about the 1980s. Um, oh, my God. So much to say. I have lots of opinions. Yeah. Um. So, um, yeah, you guys, uh, you guys hang tight as we, as we kind of start digging into this, we're going to, we're going to, um, first talk about some recording techniques and then, uh, John and I in our, our true fashion with the, the, the other two, uh, episodes, we, uh, break down some albums. So we're looking forward to breaking down some albums here later oh, in, yes. the, in the, in the episode. Uh, but if you guys hang tight, we will be right back.
So, John, 1980s, um, and I know for, yes. for some of you guys that are um, used to us maybe maybe bantering a little bit in the beginning of the episodes, uh, we know that these next two episodes, 1980s, 1990s, uh, we'll probably talk for far too long about these things because we're very right. passionate about them. So we want to mm-hmm. get right into this stuff. Uh, yes. And I'm sure you guys will appreciate that too. I feel yeah. like most of our listeners probably are, you know, in that age range of eighties, nineties, maybe early two thousands. Um, so let's talk about the 1980s, John. We're going to talk about let's recording, talk about re- 80s. like recording techniques from the eighties albums from the eighties. But I have a question for you. The 1980s obviously had a huge impact on your uh-huh. playing, uh-huh, your yeah. inspirations and things like that. If, if you were to summarize the eighties from a musician, specifically a guitar player like how would you summarize how it impacted you as a musician i would say oh gosh that's a i would just say it lit the fire oh that's good three words lit the fire that's awesome um it it was some of it i knew the fire was lit but i think some of it was subconsciously if that makes sense. I don't know. That yeah. might sound hokey. But. Actually, that does make sense because um, uh, what you and I were discussing before we got started, you know, this kind of music, uh, from, I should say not this kind of music, this this decade of music was playing in my house as a kid. Right. You know, like it was in yep. the house. So definitely subconscious is probably a perfect word for it because it was there, but you didn't realize the maybe the immediate impact or influence it was having in your life, but it was there and it was lighting that fire, like you say. For sure. And I didn't realize the subliminal stuff till later on in my playing career. You know, when I when I got out of music school, started to, you know, get in serious bands and I was starting to develop my 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 sound, mm-hmm, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, as a guitar player. Um, and I, I just I kept coming back to to what felt like home to me. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Which was a lot of that. 80s guitar playing you know right. the tones the feel so it it, it kind of started to come full circle at that point um but yeah the the i would say the 80s lit the fire for me i have two older brothers and they were obviously my eldest brother he, he's i think he's five six years older than me mm-hmm. something like that uh so he was listening to all the stuff that if I was his age, I'd probably would have been listening to. So I was getting that. And then my mother, uh, she was in a, uh, a wedding corporate band, mm-hmm. uh, when I was young and she would take me to rehearsals with her. So they were covering, you know, top 40 stuff at the time. So that was kind of getting, you know, put in, into my, my ear along with, you know, the stuff my eldest brother was listening to, you know, like all the metal, the hair metal and the, you know, that type of, you know, flavor. So I was getting just the best of both worlds, I guess, from all different angles. But, yeah, it, it definitely lit the musical fire in me that that decade for sure. Yeah, I would I would for be sure. able to say the same thing. I would, you know. I think as a musician, you know, I really didn't start playing drums. I started late. I mean, I was 15 when I started. So you're, you know, it, for me, that's 
that's put me in the early 90s when a musician, you know, the musician side of me starts figuring out I want to play drums. And then you couple that with, you know, the, the music of the time, which we mm-hmm. all know the early 90s. And of course, we'll get there. Um, yep. But that subliminal stuff that had happened when I was younger, so back up five years, back up eight years, whatever, was that 80s stuff, you know, riding in the car, being at home, the records that were played, the, the cassette tapes that were played. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're kind of cut from that same that same thing where, you know, you, you're, you're being fueled whether you realize it or not. Oh, yeah, big time. And big it makes time, me man. it makes me wonder, you know, we, we, we have daughters and, you know, mm-hmm. that we... The music I hear now, you know, that's in the radio, we're riding down the street yeah. and, you know, our, our daughter wants to hear, turn up the radio, or turn on the radio. And it's yeah. Ariana Grande. The song is called Positions. And yeah. the, the lyrical line is switching up positions for you. Right. Right. And I'm like, this, th- this has less to do with music now and more about actually a message that's reaching young girls ears and even young boys ears like they're hearing this stuff and it's this cultural thing that bothers me you know what i mean like this isn't influencing a musician side of you this is influencing possible behavior right yeah which is a whole get me started on this i mean (laughs) it, it it is lost the 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 musicality and pop music is it's just not there right excuse me like it was in the 80s you know, you, you talk about a pop song from the 80s. Um, there's all kinds of musicianship over that stuff. I mean, there's there's some examples where it's where it's not. It's all done like, you know, sequencers and drum machines. And that's that's fun. But the, the, the production, the artistry of the lyrical content, the the craftsmanship of the song is just you don't have that. Right. And that's what I'm kind of getting at is if, if that was in our subliminal minds, you know, these things that we know are, you know, affecting us, whether we realized it or not, that then carried over into our musician careers and our journeys, you know, it just bothers me that, you know, this this is the kind of thing where music has landed now. Yeah. I mean, it's like, look, I mean, is that what we're, is that what we're, where we're at? Like we have to sell, you know, you know, boning you know, each other, that's, that's, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, you know, getting banged and, and having sex and all that stuff. And like, like really? Mm -hmm. And I mean, (laughs) I get from, I get that we're kind of off on a tangent, but the thing that I I kind of, and and the the thing I I think I'm trying to, to kind of absorb and kind of bring into this is that, um, mainstream music has changed in such a big way because a lot of people would be like oh well there's still great music out there and you just have to you just have to look for it now that i get that and i and i do look for it and i do find it and you and i talk about it but what was mainstream in the 80s may have been white snake and obviously there's a lot of sexual connotations in white snake music but white snake and it's journey not so in and, your face right you know and what I mean? it's van it's, halen it's, like yeah it right. was at least like done in an innuendo kind of way it was done in a you know it's exactly. not as like just put it in your in your you know in your face like right, it was at exactly. least there was they they played around the edges of it and it was done a little more tasteful you know i just Yes, I worry yes. that like that, that kind of stuff, you know, and th- th- again, use the word mainstream, like let's, let's think about where mainstream music was in the eighties and nineties versus where mainstream music is now and how that subliminal message affects you. Right. It does, man. I mean, and, and you're right. It just goes to kind of, you know, show as you get more seasoned in this musical game, as you get more seasoned in life, mm-hmm. you know, 
start to come and you're like, hey, wait a second, what? What are we doing here? Yeah, like, yeah. You, know what I mean? you start to, you know, those little, those little um, things that that make that trigger your subconscious start to just are constantly fighting each other because there's stuff, you know, like you said that we're accustomed to, mm-hmm. and when things kind of move away from that, and without rhyme or reason, you just you're kind of left to left to wonder about that. I don't understand, like, but but. I think it's just, um, that's just how the society is, man. Like there was no, there's no social media back in the eighties. There's no Facebook, there's no Twitter. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no, the, the, you know, image was important back then because you had MTV and music videos. So there wasn't, you know, you wanted to have like this kind of, you know, cutting edge image type stuff to go along with the musical artistry, right? There was kind of a, package deal but it was done tastefully the innuendos were uh, were there sexually of course but it, it was much more subtle and uh, you know like in like with with Def, Def Leppard you know do you take sugar one lump or two you know what I'm saying like that's awesome right and of course of course we know what they're talking about right exactly but it's not like the WAP song where she's telling you what's going on down there right, right. you know right. what I'm saying right like, Okay. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're going from from that to that, right? You know, and And some people would say that oh, it's great that you know you don't have to bury it and all this stuff, and you can be like open and free with all these kind of conversations, and that's great. But I think the worry that I have is that it can be targeted so easily to young ears, you know. Um, and I, and like I said, I know we're getting off on a, on a tangent with, with like mainstream music, but the subliminal thing really caught my attention of how you and I were affected by lyrical con- I mean, we would have been affected by that lyrical content too. But if I say, you know, pour some sugar on me as a, as a eight year old, I'm going to take that literal. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, man. That, this that, is a cool a, song. They're talking about like bathing in sugar. Very cool. Yeah, man. Yeah. I love sugar. Yeah. It's the best. Right. So that's, 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 that's kind of, you know, that, that was the. That was the part of the the beauty of the eighties was all that creative, you know, lyric, you know, innuendo, just just the creativity level, you know. Um, it, it definitely was uh a lot you know, it's kind of the you know, like I like I was talking about, and we'll kinda of get into this too as we're talking about the eighties, but you it's kind of the golden age for music. One mm-hmm. one of the first, you know, uh one point version of the golden age. Um I've talked about this in previous episodes. Like right now, I feel like we're in another golden age for guitar players, Mm -hmm. you know, with all the effects and just the technology that's available. Like it's literally it, it, this is like the golden age for guitar playing. But I think there's been, you know, almost like versions of the matrix, right? It started kind of like the first version of it, of the golden age was in the eighties for sure. Cause you've got so much technology that was being created. So, there's just all this perfect storm of stuff happening. Um, and it's just, it's really a lot, you know, but, but to kind of, you know, focus this into a point, um, I think for me, what the biggest thing that I think really affected me subliminally was just the, the polished production of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right how polished it was right and a lot of the stuff had to do with 
recording techniques and gear that was being made, invented, whatever you want to say. And uh, it just gave the the actual recordings of these songs like it still like it started the sound of the big polished mix down mm-hmm. song mm-hmm. right and it's still like if you hear it now like you would either say this is a song from the 80s or it's 80s production you it, you immediately recognize it you, you immediately recognize it you know like you know like the gated reverb sound on the snare um all those different type of 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 you know, heavy gated reverby, um, drum sounds like that's eighties right there, you know, mm-hmm. Phil Collins, mm-hmm. you know, gated Tom Phil and in the air tonight, like it's, that's a staple of the eighties, you know, everybody, you know, and, and, and it was previous to the other eras too, you know, when you're making, when you're in, when you're in the studio, Chris, and you're making a record and you're using the same studio guys that recorded the last record that was in there and they had four hit songs where you're going to, you're not going to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Right. So you get into the eighties and you've got all these songs or you've got this particular sound sonic palette, if you will. That's my word of the day, Chris, sonic palette, sonic palette. Like it. You got the sonic palette that is so identifiable and, and, is on every hit song that's out. Well, you know, producer X, Y, and Z is going to want to just do the same thing that those guys did. That's why in the eighties, like there's like a handful of guitar players that did everything. Same with drummers, bass players. Like they want to recapture that, that sound. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, I, I can't even begin to like fathom being like a session player out in LA in the eighties, man, you know, Steve Lucas, they're one of my big influences. Uh, he, um, uh, you know, a big time session, session musician. And if you go look up his discography, I mean, he pretty much played on just about damn near everything that came out in the eighties. Uh, you know, him, Mike Landau, Tim Pierce, um, you know, um, Bray Parker Jr. Just that there's a handful of guys that did all those sessions, right? Yeah. Because when they, because they knew the producers would call them, they knew they could deliver that sound and they all had the same gear. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they wanted that sound. So I think that is that subliminally, I hear all those sounds like all those colors, mm-hmm. right? On the guitar. And that just suck, stuck with me even into my playing now is like creating sonic palettes on your guitar because mm-hmm. that's what they were doing in the studio. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you brought up like gated reverb. Like that was a huge, a huge thing, especially for drums, like adding like a gated reverb. You and I were talking about that before mm-hmm. we, we got, we got going. And, and part of what makes that work is that you could, um, do like bus mix downs, which yep. weren't possible. And I think I kind of had an epiphany as you and I were talking about this. It was like, well, why didn't they do that in the seventies? Why, you know, was the idea not available or, and as you pointed out, as we were, we were discussing it is that, you know, before the eighties, you know, or leading right up to the eighties, there wasn't a such thing as like a 24 track mixing console or no, 48 uh-huh. or whatever. You only had like four or eight or maybe 16 channels. So you really didn't have a channel to dedicate just to like, you know, effects. 
yeah, that that wasn't that wasn't an option. <laughs> yeah. Yet, you yeah. know. Uh so you, the the ability to to route different stuff instruments through another channel and have it just have nothing but effects or compressor like that was the one of the one of the biggest you know not you know there's tons of other things that we're going to get into but just that that's part of that that polished sound right that you hear on so many 80s records um just big huge massive sounding records right those you didn't get that with beatles records in the 60s they didn't have that big massive sound Mm -hmm. you know it just wasn't it wasn't there right nor nor was it an option even if a producer was dreaming it up he just there was no way to execute on that and make it a reality right so a good example uh is when i i remember hearing the white snake album meaning the 1987 white snake the 1987 Mm -hmm. white snake self-titled white snake record I remember hearing that through an old, my brother had a big old boom box thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if you kids don't know what a boom box is, just Google it. Please stop listening to this and go, yes. <laughs> go, <laughs> go <Google>. watch YouTube. <laughs> yeah, go watch YouTube. For, so I remember, you know, when I heard Still of the Night, I, like it, it just sonically, I was like, holy crap, that sounds massive. Like just the, the mix of it, it was loud and it was real airy on the top end. Of course, the guitars were just, you know, that classic eighties metal guitar sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just, it was the drum sound that gated, gated reverb on the snare. It just sonically sounded it just sounded big, sounded massive, you know, and there's a lot of eighties records that had that same kind of huge, you know, especially a lot of the rock records. It was just, just massive. They just sounded huge. Like the Bon Jovi records, mm-hmm, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? You know, uh, what is it? New Jersey, slippery when wet, all wet, that stuff. Keep the faith. Yeah. Like yeah. Those, I mean, those like, like just massive. I'm, I'm, you know, and what, what, just to clarify what I'm talking about, it's the overall, it's the sound of, of the record. It's not necessarily a specific instrument, but it's the sound. It's how huge these records sound, right? right? As we're saying, I mean, it's, it's the production technique it's, used in yeah. that decade that really make that, yeah. that sound carry over from years to come. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, you know, just to kind of touch on some of the guitar stuff, I mean, you've got all these different uh, multi-effects processors that are coming out. Uh, that are being used in the studio. Uh, you've got all these different digital delays, all these digital reverbs. Uh, there's a thing called the stereo, the tri stereo chorus, uh, that basically was the, that's when everybody started a uh, guitar player wise started using these huge, big old refrigerator racks mm-hmm. here, um, because you would be running, they would run these stereo rigs. They'd have, Basically, three amplifiers, just to kind of simplify how they would do this. They would have three amplifiers, okay? The left and the right side would have the effects going to them. So any kind of delay, reverb, it would be going to the left and right side amplifiers. The center amplifier would be just nothing but a dry guitar sound. Mm -hmm. Guitar, amp, speaker cabinet, microphone, 
front of house. That's it. So what that gave the front of house the ability to do was to blend in the stereo, the left and right side, to blend it into taste and also blend the dry signal in too so it doesn't get too washy. Mm-hmm. So because that was the sound in the studio it was like these stereo guitars, just stuff bouncing left and right. And this tri-stereo chorus that had this, you know, pitch effect that would detune, you know, the, the, the sound of the guitar just ever so slightly that would just give you this huge stereo image. And then you've got the Eventide, um, uh, H 3000 processor that, uh, I believe the secret patch on there was the micro pitch shift. Mm-hmm. that's like the chorus sound, one of the chorus sounds that you hear on all those ec- records, um, that micro pitch preset on the Eventide. And then the tri-stereo chorus, and then, you know, all of the, uh, you know, TC electronics started to coming out with, with digital delays and, and, you know, rack mount effects. And guys had, a, you know, the session players, you know, like, Steve Lukather, they had to be able to recreate that stuff from the studio in a live setting. Mm-hmm. So all that technology has to has to work together, um, and you didn't have the this available to you in the seventies. You know, I mean, a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's why I say it was kind of like one of the first versions of the golden age of guitar because you got all this gear. You know, technologies made huge advancements. You know, you can get this gear. And it doesn't cost $3 million, you know, right. now, granted to the, to the everyday working man, it was real expensive, but to the, you know, the studio guys and the, and the guys that were in big gigs, it was like, you know, it was no big deal as far as price, price is concerned. So it's, it, 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 um, it kind of got my, my subliminal musician in me to really start to focus in on like guitar tones. You know what I mean? What a clean sound was, what a dirty rhythm sound was, what a lead sound sounded like. You know what I mean? I'm starting to kind of uh, categorize this stuff in my subliminal brain. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, fast forward, you know, 25 years later, I'm out of music school and I'm, you know, writing stuff or, or, or you know, playing stuff in bands and all of this stuff starts to kind of, you know, it makes sense. It's like, Oh, I know exactly what that delays. I want it to do. I want, I want to run stereo and I want it to bounce left and right. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, definitely the, 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 the effects, you know, all of the digital effects that were, that were in the studios, I think that helped kind of shape the the sound of this decade as well. Um, Because you just didn't have the technology before, Chris. You know, it just wasn't there. And as you you brought up, like, things became more affordable. You know, like, that was one of the biggest things. Like, obviously, you and I are going to come from a place of rock, but we were were influenced by 80s pop as well. And a huge Mm -hmm. thing from the 80s would have been synthesizers. Like, the, the rise of the synthesizer drum machines like these were significant advancements in technology but you know not only the technology but the price of these things were starting to come down and down and down so people having access as as it's always been in music having access to look at us now like having access to gear 
yeah. means that we can create something that may have been this like coveted thing because only a few people could afford it. But you can have a home studio now and, you know, like back up 15 years or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Like you couldn't have had a studio in your home that could do mm-hmm. all the things they do now. So mm-hmm. synthesizers come out in the 80s. They're much more affordable. And think of like how influential that was then to even music now. Yeah, totally, man. I mean, and and not to mention, like you're 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 creating a new workflow in the studio with the advent of sequencers and also musical instrument digital interface, MIDI. also known as MIDI. Right. I know we were going to talk about MIDI. Like MIDI's MIDI's a massive leap that took place. So I don't know. I think you and I, when we talked about the '60s, we were we were speaking more organically about yeah, yeah how I things so. were captured, meaning right. that it was just like live audio, organic instruments, right? Capturing this audio into microphones and and doing the very best they could do in exceptional ways with like four channels or eight channels or whatever it was. And then in the seventies, how the music itself kind of shifted. Um, and now in the eighties, like you, you shift from uh, almost a organic type of thing to thinking more digitally like ones and zeros mm-hmm. with synthesizers drum machines midi and like mm-hmm. you say it changes the entire thinking process and workflow in the studio yeah because you don't have to do multi-track recording right you can just sequence a drum groove sequence the bass line cut and print it you mm-hmm. know you know you if you want to add the live musicians you can but like a lot of those pop hits, man, in the 80s, man, it was all sequenced drums and bass and, you know, that's it. You know, that's 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 all it took. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have live musicians in the studio uh, doing multi-track stuff. You know what I mean? Like you started to get into, you know, how uh, how the workflow was going to work in the studios. You know what I'm saying? So yep. that, that, that alone um, kind of was a, you know, kind of that's really where that kind of whole thing started in the eighties was, you know, now, you know, now in the session world, you know, everybody's kind of wants to be in, you know, everybody wants to track at the same time. Um, but you know, it was starting to get away from live tracking, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. all just individuals, you know, would pre-record their stuff and then it would, it would be a cut and paste thing at that point. Um, you started to kind of just move into a different workflow situation in the studio. Um, it, it, it really was a, um, just golden age, man, of music, like the first iteration of it, you know, when you think about it, um, that's why it's so hard to like, (laughs) when I was trying to like pick top three records. Yeah. It turned into like 63 yeah. like real quick. Right. You know what I mean? There's just so much stuff. There's man. so much great stuff, which of course so we're going to get into, stuff. get into the albums here yeah. in just a bit. I think it's funny to, to, to add tack onto your point that you just made there is that the stuff that was happening in the eighties, um, is still influencing music now, probably more now than it, than it ever has. Like, you know, that, that sound is, is kind of diminishing a little bit from maybe like the, the last two to four four or five years, but that 80s stuff is still uh, making impressions on, you know, say 18, 19, 20 year olds. And the thing that, that 
to your point that you that you uh, you brought up was that people do want to record now, you know, in yeah. rooms together. They want to capture what they might refer to as uh, air quotes here, vintage, you know, kind of sounds. Yes. The word vintage gets used vintage. by kids so yeah. much now. And yeah. you and I think about the 1980s. I don't think the word vintage applies, but I mean, that's been 40 years ago. Maybe it does apply. Maybe it does, man. You, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, if we're talking classic cars, yeah, you know, I mean, that's like a classic. Yeah, you know, um, but you know, there's so many bands now that are that stylistically. If you were to pull the vocal track out and just say, okay, what era do you think this was recorded? Mm-hmm. You know, like there's so much stuff like that, that, that dude, the weekend, you know, that blinding light song. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's basically, you know, it's the aha take on me drum groove, Mm -hmm. you know, it's total eighties production, right? Total eighties production. That, that synthesizer lead line is like, yeah, like cut, cut and paste out of that decade, you know? And then Mm -hmm. you got bands like, you know, like the 1975 that have that similar kind of sonic eighties palette going Mm -hmm. on. Mm Mm-hmm. And that just, it, it's making, it's making its way back into pop culture because there's a reason why, you know, all those songs, all those hit songs like sounded so good is because they just, they cut and paste, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. used the same, you know, the same kind of formula, if you will. Right. So right. I think it's starting to kind of that, that type of production, that type of polished uh, refine, unvintage, unorganic, unvintage. Yeah, you know what I mean. Is kind of is in vogue. Yeah, uh, for right sure, now, for sure. But it's yeah, the eighties definitely were. You know, looking back on it now, definitely were just a lot of the seeds were sown for me as as a guitar player in that in that era. For sure, I don't know if I was as influenced as a drummer. Um, not immediately. Obviously, we talked about the subliminal part of it, but um, I was more influenced by drummers in the 90s. But those drummers, but the thing that, that surprises me is that, you know, a lot of people will talk about their influences, but those influences were influenced heavily by the 80s, right? So like exactly. our influences yeah. from the 90s were so heavily influenced by the 80s that we were still being influenced by that, whether we realized it or not. You know, like that that influence was being still like, you know, poured down through, like siphoned through that process. Totally, man. And, and I think that's, that's, you know, obviously we're, we're getting older as, as humans, you know, our, our, our tastes are changing, you know, we're growing up, you know, we're wanting to, you know, we're just, the evolution begins, you know what I mean? You start, you, you know, for me, I started playing guitar when I was 10. So it was like the tail end of the eighties. So I'm, we're kind of just about on the same trajectory as far as you know, our, our playing careers, uh, the start of it, but you're right. Everything that we were into in the nineties was a direct, you know, correlation to, to the eighties. Right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's why it's so hard. Like, you know, picking these albums, man, like, golly, man, like I just, you know, there's so much stuff, man. Yeah. So much good well, let's, stuff. Let's get into that. I mean, yeah, let's, so, so on, let's get All into right. these albums. So I think that we would be remiss to, to talk about, um, you know, almost anything but like rock music. But of course, there's a lot of pop music we can bring up. But so, so John and I, we have these, these conversations where we're going to, you know, we feel like we've got this, this great refined kind of flow from the last two episodes. We're going to talk about three, four or five albums that 
not only influenced maybe the decade of music, but definitely influenced us as musicians. Um, so we start talking about like, okay, we're going to, let's do this, man. Let's just, let's, uh, let's, let's just figure out the eighties. You, you come up with three, nah, let's do five. Okay. Yeah. Let's do five. We'll do five albums a piece. It's impossible. Like There's it is no impossible way, to say that I'm going to choose five albums because there is so much music in the eighties that if there was a hard right turn that happened with music, as you've mm-hmm. said, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the eighties and you start following Big that time. right turn down the road. Mm-hmm. You can't, I mean, every single year that rolls over in the decade, it's like, Oh my God, that came out in 81. That came out in 82. That came out in 83 and you're blown away. So what John and I decided to do was rather than talk about our favorites, cause it's impossible to do is yeah, just talk about just albums. Much. Like just, yeah. let's just talk about albums that, you know, yeah. were, yeah, we'll just, we'll throw them on the table yeah. and then we'll let the, let the chips fall where they may. How about, how about, yeah, how about this? We'll each, we'll each go one album okay. a piece and yeah. maybe we'll be shocked with like, let's see if we can, if we can not only put the album out there, but then the year it came out and I'll, and, and see if we surprise probably you won't be surprised. Cause you're, I would say that you're like the eighties, eighties guy, but you, I, you, you know, I, I, I love, I love the eighties, man. I really do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I accept your challenge. All right. So, 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 so I wouldn't say we have to do this rapid fire necessarily, but let's, uh, let's just name some great albums from the eighties. You, you go first, sir. Okay. So, man, I don't even know where to start on this list, man. <laughs> I'm going to start with probably, um, if I had to do a top three, this would probably be in there. Oh, okay. um, it definitely would have to be appetite for destruction by guns and roses. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be because that to me, if someone talks about guns and roses, I, I think nineties first, I don't, I don't right. think eighties. And when I, I had to correct someone the other day, they're like, Oh yeah, that came out like 91. I was like, no, negative, sir. way negative. I believe it was 1987. Yeah. 87, 87. So 87, you got to think, uh, and I'll try to keep this short and sweet. You got to think we're, we're coming to the tail end of the hair metal scene, right? So, you know, you've got like this five, six year kind of, 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 you know, just nothing but hair metal. It's dominating the top 40 stuff, the rock stuff. It's just hair metal. So coming out of this, the hair metal here comes guns and roses mm-hmm. with this song talking about it's so effing easy. Yep. I mean, what kind of, I mean the attitude, the guitar, I mean, it's swagger. Just, the swagger. swagger. Yeah, thank you. Some That's people don't know say. this. Some people don't know this. Bro. Duff McKagan plays bass, yep. right? Yep. He was born in Seattle. Think about this. 1985, 86, 87. The album comes out. Seattle music obviously had not exploded then, but the bands were tight knit. They were super tight knit, but he was frustrated because the music there was not getting recognized. You know, it's mm. at the, you know, the very top of the West, you know, West yeah, coast. I mean, nobody, nobody yeah. goes there for music, but yeah. everybody was like, they looked out for each other. Yeah. But a few musicians left and they were like, we're going to go to California and we're going to see if we can make something happen. And of course they got a lot of shit for it because they were like, you're just going to leave our little click here in Seattle and try to go make it as a, as a rock star, Mr. 80s rock star. Duff McKagan goes down and you know, a year and a half rolls by and comes home this like rock and roll hero. Yeah. He found a pretty good gig. He found a pretty good gig, you know, with guns and roses in Los Angeles. So, um, yeah, I always always find that very interesting. 
and and that's that 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 for me is hearing that song just sonically it it i was never the same mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that's one of those definitely lit the fire records for me like yep. big time yep. big time and even welcome to the you? jungle like welcome to the jungle from there is a i don't know like just the way that song has this like uh, swagger would be a word for it but the groove of that song yeah, is just, it just has like this deep. attitude yeah to it, i mean i think it's right? just constant attitude like you know yeah. just that whole album you just put it on and you can just feel the attitude start to finish man and i think a lot of it had to do with just axel his his kind of shtick mm-hmm. like just like this you never really he just had his own thing man they just carved out their own kind of sound at that time yeah uh that that was just like like led into a lot of the influences in the 90s that we'll talk about when we get there but yeah that's 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 got to be that's got to be top three more than likely for sure for me what what say you chris i'm gonna throw down bon jovi slippery when wet mostly because mm. if if my dad listens to this episode and I, I know he probably will yeah tico torres who is the drummer tico, for bon jo- tico, 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 tico 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 torres was the drummer is the drummer for bon jovi um there were two drummers that influenced me heavily before i even picked up a pair of drumsticks and i think it was like in that in between time where there's music and then there's Oh, I can hear the drums on this music. I'm paying attention to how rhythms work. And it was before I even had a practice pad. It was Spin Doctors and it was Bon Jovi. For whatever reason, these two drummers, Aaron Comez for the Spin Doctors and Tico Torres for Bon Jovi. I gravitated towards Bon Jovi more and... um it was Slippery When Wet that I could play. I told you this before we got started. I could play that album on drums from front to back, and I would put it on sometimes sitting down behind the drums. God bless my parents. My mother would let me play drums for four hours a day, not even stop me. And I would yeah, just put, totally. put, put Slippery When Wet on and play that sucker from front to back, and I was like, all right, what's next? And that album was just, you know, if it taught me anything, it was like how to lay down a solid groove under a band and Tico Torres can do that like incredibly well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's why he, uh, probably why he kept the gig. Yeah. Um, yeah, that album was, was obviously very, very huge for them. I mean, they were, they were a pretty big band before that album came out, but that was the one that kind of just like white snake, like that 87 white snake album. They just jumped to like the next level. Next next level. For sure. All right. What you got? So, so many on my on my list um so i'm probably gonna have to go with it's got to be the back and black record from acdc and i know this probably was on your list too maybe but i have to i mean guitar wise i mean you want to talk about some smithsonian level riffs yeah and most people i'm going to point out don't think that's an 80s album Oh no 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 they they don't it's it's similar to Appetite for Destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, this record I I remember vividly going into my brother's room and my eldest brother and s- similar to when I heard you know records just sounds that changed like just stuck with me <clears throat> like when I heard the Hendrix records and. You know, like Appetite for Destruction. Like I knew exactly where I was. It was like a snapshot in time that forever is just scarred in my memory. 
seared, if you will. Mm-hmm. So this record came out in what, 1980, uh, July of 80, April, uh, or excuse me, July 25th, I believe of mm-hmm. 1980. And what a sound. I mean, you've got, this is the, I, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a pivotal moment for guitarists mm-hmm. was the recording of this record. It, it, it forever seared the, it's, it's like when somebody says, Hey, I need the Ringo beat in right. the studio. Right. Right. Okay. So now here comes, yeah, I want the back and black guitar tone and, you know, Mutt Lang. Mutt um, Lang. Speaking of recording techniques, y'all should take some time and look up Mutt Lang's, uh, his, his resume. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> You know, it's pretty extensive, but this guy, Mutt, what a name. <laughs> um, I mean, just the the guitar, the sonic palette, once again. How huge did this record sound, Chris? I mean, I mean if, if, I mean, think, let's think about this. Mutt Lang obviously had a big, a big impact on this album, but that sound could be heard throughout the 80s. Right. And this oh, album yeah. comes out in 1980. Like it almost was like setting a precedent. Big time. I mean, a few other records that on the list. I mean, think about the Def Leppard records that Mutt Lang did. Not only did he did. So there, there, there is a, and I'm going to save it because I'm going to, this will be probably one of the other ones that I'll mention. But like you said, like there's a sonic palette that, is created here mm-hmm. a, a sonic palette bookmark if you will that says if you want this sound here's how you get it right i want the ringo beat i want the acdc i want the appetite for destruction sound guitar wise i'm speaking in the guitar tone wise right right that record not only did it have the sonic palette but it had the riffs like the smithsonian level riffs riffage if you will i mean just some of the most epic killer riffs ever written on guitar is on that record and i remember every time it came on it was just like another one of those i want that's what i want to do <laughs> I want to do that. I right. Want to play that. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I'm going to go with back and black, Chris, um, uh, because I, I, I can talk about that record forever. So that's my number. Num- number two. Your number my two. Next one. Yeah, my number two. My yeah. number two is the police synchronicity. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good, <laughs> they're on my list too, but yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, there's, there's several police albums that came out in the eighties, but this would be like the quintessential because it was probably the one that I had the most access to. Um, and it was the one that you, you know, obviously the, the huge big album, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the radio hits and things like yep. that. I, I knew yep. those songs. Mm-hmm. So it was like, well, this is the one I'll gravitate towards. Um, and I mean, there's still, there's no drummer that plays. Uh, nope. beats and, and stuff. There's just, there's no one that's going to be able to play. And, and the, the sound that was created from just three individuals, like, you know, just remember that's three people doing that. Three dudes. I mean, I don't know. St- Stuart Copeland is, is forever. He's one of those John Bonham level, you yeah, know, inf- influ- influences um, yeah, man. that's just, 
you know, that, that album for me was, was huge. Um, yep. And yep. I attribute a lot of like, you know, th this, you know, going from like, say, um, Bon Jovi to the police, mm -hmm. even mentioning spin doctors to my dad, because he was constantly, uh, playing different stuff. Like there was funk right. and then there was maybe, you know, fusion, like we'd listen to right. Atlanta rhythm section or, you know, Mahavishnu orchestra or like all these yep. like different things going on. So mm -hmm. my dad had a big influence on me to, to, to not stay in one lane. Cause I could probably list metal albums the entire time. You and I both could do that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that is just part and parcel to, as we got older, you know, our, our taste, you know, changed and evolved. We got into different stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, but to kind of circle back to your, yeah, I mean the, the police definitely, they're like one of the quintessentials, quintessential eighties bands. Yeah. There is a, there's just a sonic palette that they create that is like no other. And they were on my list too. Their record was Zenyatta Mundata. Mundata. Yeah. But I mean, imagine if, if I were to come to you and be like, dude, I got this idea for a band. It's like punk rock and reggae. And you're like, what? Huh? How are we going to make that work? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially during the eighties. Right. Right. You during know, during, the 80s. That, during that, 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 that era. But man, yeah, that's a good one, Chris. That's right. a good one. What's your number three, sir? <sighs> okay, so God, this is tough, man. Mm -hmm. This is tough. Um, I was gonna go with one of the Van Halen records, but since I did that in the the last series, I'm gonna go. Probably, I, I'm gonna go. I gotta go. I gotta go. Purple Rain, man. Oh, <laughs> I can. I'm gonna have to go. Purple Rain on you. Okay. Um. Once again, you know, having brothers, uh, this one came out in 84. So, um, this is, I think this was the song that you put on Purple Rain if you're, you know, trying to, trying to get lucky with the lady, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, this, I, I remember certain parts of, of my life where I was, you know, like when I, I remember hearing like the intro riff to when doves cry, mm -hmm. like that guitar intro thing, like, oh, like, wow. Like to me, that was like Hendrixy type stuff. Mm -hmm. But in this like funky pop setting with all of this guitar centric stuff, right? I mean, that, that whole record, man, I mean, some of the greatest guitar playing you will ever hear, man. I mean, like when doves cry, let's go crazy. Purple rain. I would die for you. I mean, just Smithsonian level guitar playing. What I love there. about that album and really Prince in general, but specifically that album is you can hear his influences. They're just like, Oh, they're yeah, drenched, dude, you know, like his influences are all on display. Yeah, big time. I mean, that and another, you know, quintessential 80s artist. Um, but just, you know, the guitar solo at the end, at the end of Purple Rain, obviously, is like, I mean, it's like, you know, Smithsonian level stuff, man. Yeah, man. That's the best word I could describe it. But for me, you, you know, when you hear that being played on a guitar, just the, it's like, yeah, that's, I want to do that. Yeah, I, I, I want to do that with the guitar. 
But I think for me, I kind of got, that's when I kind of got exposed to a whole different aspect to music, you know, the, the funk rhythm, you know, the, the real tight rhythm section, you know, like the James Brown mm-hmm. on steroids kind of, kind of thing, right. Tight rhythm section, you know, real, really good. I mean, like the rhythm guitar playing on, on that stuff, man, is just like, if you want to learn good, if you want to learn how to play rhythm guitar real good, put on Purple Rain and just, you know, play along with that. Yep. You know, totally it, agree. It, it's, it's just, it's. So purple rain. That's mine. That's mine, Chris. My number three, I'm going to go in a totally different direction uh, than even my, my, my first, my first two Metallica master of puppets. Oh, that's a good one. That's on my list too. It's yeah. on my 63 list of 63. Albums. <laughs> list yeah, of 63. <laughs> Came out in 1985. Yeah, I I, yeah. And you know, I, I really like ride the lightning. And I feel like Master of Puppets is very similar to Ride the Lightning. Yeah, it is. But, like, Metallica was doing everything right. Like, they were bringing every element together for thrash metal. I mean, that album is like an institution for thrash metal. Like, yeah. that's like, if, if someone's like, hey, give me one. Give me just one thrash metal album as the, as the genre was being defined. Mm-hmm. This has to be the album. Um, and the stuff that obviously is like the 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 quote-unquote hits obviously master of puppets would be like the song but the deeper into that album you go mm-hmm. the more i find the more um inspiration and definitely influence i feel like the songs even just i mean just the track list the way it was laid out like they become a little more deep like you could see in those tracks that where they were headed to for and justice for all that they were more complex yes. and if i had any you know we both love progressive rock progressive metal this would have been my very first understanding of like progressive metal song structure and wrapping totally. your head around to- that you know totally man totally and- i mean like for guitar you know there's so much like you've got orion you know, yeah. the, the classic, you know, Pantheon, another Pantheon riff there. You've got, there's so much stuff going on there. You know, it, it definitely still has that Ride the Lightning vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're starting to see the band kind of morph into what it's going to be. Right. You know, the, the, the like you were saying, the song structures, the, the, the thematic approach to it. You know, it's... Uh, that's a good one, dude. Yeah. That's a real good Love I mean, that one. God. And still to this day, I'll put on Master of Puppets and play it front to back and feel very accomplished. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, song. dude, like, like, totally, man. Meaning, I mean, that's, meaning not the album, the song, just the song Master just, of Puppets. Like, yeah. God, to play the whole album would be exhausting. Yeah. But yeah. that's a that's a good one, man. Yeah. That's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. Back to you, sir. Oh, man. Okay. This is this one's tough. Um how many more are we doing? We're going to do Well, one I would more. say let's just go we'll just go one more each and then maybe we'll do like, like a, this just one a, and another one. Yeah, so this yeah, one, this and, one, one. and one more. Yeah, so this will be your number 4. So we'll do okay. maybe we'll do 5 each. So yeah. Okay. This will be your so, number 4. So number 4. Okay, I'm going to go with and this just barely made the uh the 80s, but it's got to be Dr. Feelgood, man. Oh, yes. 
I will always remember the intro to just that song, like that camera being like pulled through the desert, like that. I mean, I thought that was the heaviest shit ever. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I was like, I want to do this forever in you, my life. Do you want to talk about some attitude? Yes. That confidence, confidence that didn't border on cockiness. It was straight up cockiness. Just, just swag to the 10th power. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that one came out, I believe, in September of 89. And that's another one of those records, like, it's start to finish. You know, just Smithsonian level riffage going on there. Yep, yep. That's um, going to be our word of the day, Smithsonian level. Yeah. Um, but, that, yeah, just the opening track to Dr. Feelgood. So to tie this back to Metallica, the guy that produced the Dr. Feelgood record, Bob Rock. Mm. When Metallica went in to record the Metallica record, also known as the Black Album, mm-hmm. they referenced Dr. Feelgood. Lars did. I think Lars is on record saying that, yeah, we wanted our record to sound like that. Yeah. Like, I wanted, like that's, yeah. So that's who they used to record the Black Album was Bob Rock, fresh off of the Dr. Feelgood sessions. That's huge. So that guitar sound is probably... That's got to be probably top five rock guitar sounds like ever recorded. I mean, that is just glorious, glorious, glorious stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, that album was on a lot at my house. My, my, you know, my bitch. I mean, that, like, dude, that was the, that was the, that was the record right there. Um, that kind of. You know, and, and it's funny because Motley Crue was a hair metal band, mm-hmm. right? You know, their their you know their first couple of records that they came out with, man, is nothing but just straight hair metal, right? Mm-hmm. Not Doctor Feelgood, buddy. I mean, nope. that is a hard rock record, you yep. know. And it's got obviously now it's got you know Kickstart My Heart, you know, all those songs that are on there, man. You know, that had pop success, but to me, that kind of that that put the nail in the coffin for for hair metal bands like that was it because once that record came out like it was there was no more the hair metal scene was just it was done at that point yep it was it was it was transitioning into something completely new completely different um but that that record was amazing yes Uh, so i'm gonna go dr feel good so for my fourth john i have to go rush moving pictures Ooh, that's a good one. Rush is on my list too, but there's only, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, so much good stuff. Man. Yeah, so much hey, good stuff. It's, it's that's a good one, Chris. Moving that's Pictures is like you know the holy grail of Rush albums. There's so many great ones, but uh, as a drummer, like I mean, come on, you know. They, I mean, Neil Peart. Neil is Peart. Peart. Yes. Peart. Peart is a. You gotta. I mean, as a drummer. A respectable drummer. I'm throwing down the sure. gauntlet. As a respectable drummer, got to. you got to know Tom Sawyer, note for note. You know, you can play YYZ, fine. You could play Red Barchetta, fine. You got to know Tom Sawyer. This is like, you know, this is this like a rock, level, like, yeah, Chris. This is a rite of passage thing for drummers, yeah. like, you know, at least from, from our generation. Oh, yeah, so, totally. you know, moving pictures is definitely it. Like, the this album would have introduced me properly to, like, progressive rock and the understanding yeah. of, of odd time signatures and stuff like that. Uh, incredible album. I mean, it's only seven tracks, but probably the best, in my That's, opinion, the best seven tracks they ever put out. Oh man. I mean, 
hey, I mean, yeah. So <laughs> I'll tell you a story about. So when I was at AIM, that is the Atlanta Institute of Music. Yep. The last level or the last grade, whatever you want to call it, which is level four, we have odd meter performance class. So each level, there's guitar, bass, and drums. Now it's a whole big, you know, they've got recording and all different just, but back in my day when I was there, it was just drum department, bass department, guitar department. Mm -hmm. And you had rock, jazz performance. And everybody would get five or six songs and they'd have to learn the songs and they'd have to get on stage and play them with each other, right? That's part of the, one of the classes. Um, so when you get into level four, you take rock, jazz performance and odd meter. Hmm. So we had to play five odd meter songs. One of them was YYZ. Oh, wow. And it was hard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm you sure know, it was hard was, to play with people. You could sit down and play with the record and be like, okay, cool. Got my part. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I didn't know nothing about no damn odd meter, Chris, you know, <laughs> I mean, like it was just foreign to me. I didn't even, you know, obviously, you know, when I got exposed to it when I was at school, but I never really like put two and two together and was like, oh yeah, YYZ, that's, that's odd meter. You know, that's, of course it is. It's in five, you know, it's five, four. So that 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 never like I never processed odd meter stuff. So at any rate, had to play YYZ. It took me a long time. So what would happen is you'd get the song, you'd play the song, you'd have a week to practice it with your classmates, and we had a big huge concert room, had full lighting, stage rig, PA. I mean, it was like being at a at a venue. So I'm up there. You know, so I'm like trying to like, I'm just butchering this intro. <laughs> Literally, I was like, guys, I'm, I may just have to like take an F on this. <laughs> gonna, just give me an F. I'm going back. Just, just give me a 60 and I'm good. Okay. I'll just call it, you know, take my losses. So yeah. Um, you know, I never really got huge into rush until I had to play that song. And, uh, the guitar solo on YYZ is oh, just gorgeous. I mm -hmm. mean, you want to talk about some, some heady stuff, man. Like hey, just amazing. Yeah. That, that, that's a good one, Chris. Totally agree. Moving pictures, what a great, what a great record. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Tom Sawyer, you know, you got to definitely know how to do that. Yeah, man. All right, number five. You're number five. I'll do my number five, and then after after these 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 top five breakdowns, we're just going to kind of go rapid fire and just name some albums that yeah, may, yeah, yeah. may surprise yeah. both of us. We're like, oh, whoa, really? Wow, yeah. Because uh, like like John said, there's no way we could you know we can try to do top five. This is not top five. This is five albums. This is just five albums. Yeah, yeah. this is this is definitely should not be taken as like these are our top five. Please don't take them that way because these are just just five that we that definitely had an influence on us amongst a hundred or more. Mm -hmm. <sighs> number five, sir. Okay. Number five. <sighs> oh man. Stop. <laughs> Stop. Um, like Sophie's I guess choice. I'm just, I, yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just going to go. <laughs> well played. Oh, well played. Um, 
I'm going to have to go with the White Snake, White Snake record. Chris. Okay. I, there's just no way I cannot gloss. I can't gloss over that. Um, you know, the, the, the sonic palette on that is just, you know, first song still of the night, man. Just, yeah. I remember driving in my brother's Camaro. He had a white Camaro T tops, red leather interior. And he had a kick ass sound system in there. Tape deck, tape deck, Dude. no CDs, tape deck. When we put that thing on, God, man, you want to talk? That's that's America right there. Yeah, yeah. that that is America. You you were you were flying. You were riding an American flag. <laughs> I was, that's exactly what I was doing, Chris. But um, just the riffage on that is just it's oh, so good, man. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Um, and 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 those guys were kind of like. They were like a blues rock kind of a band before, before uh, you know the White Snake record came out. But I mean, just go and listen to that from start to finish, man. I mean the, I mean, there's so much, so much to get into with that. But another um, key component to that record was the gated reverb snap snare sound. I mean, go and listen to, you know, like is this love, you know, that ballad, you know, just the, that gated reverb. It, it's I mean, like that was the sound of that record, man. Yeah. You know, not to mention the guitar playing on there, Adrian Vandenberg. I mean, just one of the most underrated metal guitarists. I mean, just the, the guitar work on that stuff, man. Uh, especially the solo on still of the night, that breakdown at the end, you know, Yep. I mean, still, dude. yeah. I mean, God, my, my memory good, of White Snake is watching the video for Here I Go Again. And oh, yes. like, hopefully my wife is not listening, but yeah, that, 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 I when mean, I saw that video, that, I, I was like, I oh, I, I, do, I became a man. Like, I do want to play music for a living. I do. Like, that's what I want to do. That's yeah. when the boy became a man. Truly. Yes. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, all of you guys, if you don't know what we're talking about, go, go and look up that video and you know, it's, yeah. I mean, dude, just that you want to talk about attitude, you know, huge attitude, huge, huge swagger, attitude, man, yeah. just all kinds of swagger, but I, it's, it's, I, I'm going to have to go with that one, Chris. Cool. Cool. I'm going to have to go with that one. All right, num- number five. five for me. And if I, if I did not put this on the list, my dad yeah. would have my balls. Journey yeah. Escape. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, that was I, honestly, I was either going to do Raised on Radio or that Journey record or the White Snake record. So it was, it was, that was what I had to go. But yeah. I would God. be safe putting Iconic. any Journey, Journey album from the 80s on there. So. There was, in my opinion, almost never a weekend when there was not a Journey record literally spinning in the house. Same. Like, it was always Journey. And this is one of those things, like from the beginning of the episode where we talked about subliminal, you know, just that seeping into your subconscious of like music and quality songwriting, quality melodies. Like, Neil Sean is probably one of the most underrated guitar players, but one of the most melodic guitar Mm. players like his stuff is super melodic like you can put any of these songs on just from escape i mean it could almost be any journey song but his guitar solos are so singable like they just stay in your head 
they and that, that to me that's one of the most underrated qualities of of journey mm-hmm. um is the is the guitar playing you know what i mean like the freaking guitar playing is just it's every every solo is singable man mm-hmm. you know every mm-hmm. every solo on that is just it, it, yeah it's it's up there man that's that's smithsonian level stuff buddy yep all right, so we've gone through 10 albums. We've kind of broke them down. So, so John, I'm going to start naming some albums. Okay. Let's see if any of these hit you okay. before we wrap up. And I'm going to, yep. I mean, these are just, these are I- iconic albums of the Man. decade. Like this, mm-hmm. this might be rock. It might be a different genre, mm-hmm. but let me put something out there and just see if it hits you. Um, I'm looking at this list real in fast. My feels. See. Hits me in my feels. Yeah. Michael Jackson. Thriller. thriller like we of gotta course. talk about thriller yeah. bad also came out in 1987 but thrillers yeah. like the one and you could speak a lot to that because of your your love for toto and and mm-hmm. uh Lukather. yeah so basically the for the most part the entire rhythm section used on thriller was toto it's mm-hmm. Lukather, the picaros page uh you know mixed in a few session players here and there um you know greg Philogaines was all over that record um Tim Pierce uh, did some stuff on that record. Uh, you know, just some some of the best pop songs ever recorded mm-hmm. um, was 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 made on that record. So yeah, that one's that's. I mean, you got to mention Thriller for sure. Got to. Um, here's it's one that one. actually here's one that actually impacted me because there was quite a bit of pop that would be mm-hmm. listened to. Mm-hmm. Just radio, right? Mm-hmm. Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation. Oh, like, that's a good one. That's yeah. a great album. Control. <laughs> control. Well, Control <laughs> is control. its own album. Yeah, yeah Control came our, out. I, so I, control, I, I, control is a separate album, but you and I, that, that, that's, that, yeah. guys, that's a John, me, me and John inside joke right there. Exactly. Control. control. Um, Rhythm yeah, Nation. I mean, Love Rhythm yeah. Nation. Um, yeah, let's see. What else I got here? Um, oh, Peter Gabriel, the album called So. Yeah, that's a good one. That was one. a good one. Sledgehammers on that album. Yeah. In Your Eyes. Good. Yeah. Great, great, great album. Um, How about Madonna Like a Prayer? Is that, is that your yeah. thing? Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, that was a huge record, man. Huge, huge record. Huge. Uh, uh, I've got a few um, that are that are big, okay. I would say. Um, not, not to be glossed over. Um the first one I'm going to go with is Huey Lewis and the News Sports. Oh, God. Dude, I can, I can close my eyes and see that cassette sitting in my room. Like, whether I listened to it a ton or not, it was always there. I mean, that song, if this is it, if that's not one of the greatest pop songs ever written. Yeah. yeah. I mean, guitar solo in that. If you go back and listen to the solo, a killer killer guitar solo man yeah perfectly yeah. outlines the chord changes that are going on it's got like this jazz fusiony kind of kind of approach to it just absolutely just you know like i said my mom being in the corporate band and stuff back back in her day um you know uh, they you know they were playing songs from this record you know like heart of rock and roll and you know i want a new drug you know mm-hmm. what i mean like that 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 record takes me back to my childhood for sure. Yeah, you listen to the news. The other one is 
Tears for Fears, Songs from the Big Chair. Oh, so good. That, that's <laughs> yeah, funny that you would bring that so, up. Wow. So I remember, you know, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. One of the most underrated guitar solos is that solo and that song. You want to talk about just, just, just a gorgeous, gorgeous guitar solo. Go ahead, Chris. I know well, you want to no, no. That. What I was about to say, to your point there, I, I defy any drummer to play that drum part correctly. The hi-hat part on that song with the beat that's going on is insanely difficult to get the dynamics correct. Yes, it, 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 it is. So, I, I mean, it, it, so that was, that was going on. Uh, that was playing a lot in my house, too. And the last one I'm going to mention, and I, I wouldn't, I would, I would be a fool not to, but the Toto 4 record, man. Toto 4, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about iconic, hard-ass drum beats? I mean, the, the Rosanna beat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? That shuffle beat is it iconic. Is iconic. And not to mention the guitar solo on it, like that little eight-bar guitar solo is probably one of the best eight-bar guitar solo ever recorded. But, I mean, that I, I you know, I remember, you know, hearing Rosanna back in the day and i didn't know anything about drums but i knew that guitar beat or that drum beat was the shiz yep i mean i i didn't get turned on to to toto until later in life but that record was huge 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 of course and of course africa you know oh yeah but but that that rosanna man that that stuck with me chris yeah yeah. So th- those are those are a few, um, uh, you know, and of course, you know, I, I, I was big into the 80s hair metal. Uh, so you got Rat from the Cellar, that record. I mean, you know, Warren Demartini is probably one of the most underrated guitarists to name some underrated guitarists. But some of those riffs on that record, like Lay It Down I mean, come on, dude, mm, so come good. on. Thick. Just, just <laughs> awesome, just amazing. That that's that's a few of my, my uh, my ones that we didn't we weren't able to put in the top five, but needs an honorable mention. Yeah, I mean we could go on and on. We could get off into the hip hop thing. We could get off into the synth, more synth based pop stuff. Yep. I mean, um, I mean Van Halen, nineteen eighty four. You know, like, I mean, yeah, I mean there's, know. I mean all the Van Halen, like that was the pinnacle of the David Lee Roth era. Mm-hmm. You know, Women and Children First, Mean Street, nineteen eighty four. Like that's like the Mount Rushmore. You know, but since I kind of already did the Van Halen last time, you know, it's just it's it, that's too easy. You yeah. know what I mean? That, yeah. That's way too easy. Yeah. But I think we need to mention, uh, you know, the Def Leppard records, Hysteria and Pyromania. I mean, yeah, yeah. God, definitely. You want to talk about albums. Smithsonian riffage? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's definitely, definitely got to be, got to be in there for sure too. But yeah, we can, we could talk about this for years. We could, we really could just for years. So I guess the challenge would be if you're, uh, if you're, if you, you don't know eighties music very well, it would be just to maybe Google top 100 songs of the 1980s and yeah. just go down the list, you know, find yeah. your favorites, whether it be genre or style or whatever. It's all there. I mean, eight, the eighties, like John and I said, it took a hard right into some incredible stuff that even to this day is just dripping with inspiration that people are still utilizing in recording techniques now. Totally, man. It, 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 it just, it laid a, 
it laid the, the, the path for how things were going to go forward from that point. Like everything changed in the eighties. Yep. Yep. Everything did. So, uh, yeah, definitely probably my favorite era of music. Um, you know, but when we get into the nineties, you know, things are going to be more, um, where the rubber meets the road with your playing. Yeah. Right? Cause you're, you know, I'm, I'm a teenager by this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm driving, I have my own car, you know, I got, I'm playing in bands at this point. So things are, are, are really starting to take shape, if mm-hmm. you will, in mm-hmm. my musical world. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to getting into the nineties yeah, too, the but 90s. definitely the eighties, the eighties are where it's at, man. Yeah, man, for sure. Um, yeah. Nineties for me, like if, if anyone were to say, like, if you had to pick one decade, it'd be really hard. But I, it would probably would, be nineties because Yeah, I mean I would you would have to just for the for the for the sake like I was saying, like you're you're coming into your own right. musical. And like we said, whether you realized it or not, now we would realize it. But it, at yeah. the time we were getting that seventies influence. We were getting that eighties influence mm-hmm. through our nineties mm-hmm. bands, you know, because yep. we were listening to like you know, we were listening to genuine rock and metal at that point and and you know mm-hmm. like we we were getting those influences so for me it's the 90s you know i think it always will be yeah. um so yeah the next episode is is very exciting i think we're probably going to have to do the same kind of format because there's no way Dude, no way we could yeah, pull down just we, three I told albums you early, yeah i told you earlier when i kind of forecasted ahead i was like oh, i'm gonna have to like there's gonna be 60 albums on this decade too <laughs> um yeah everything was just kind of starting to come together musically at that point, as far as like what I thought I wanted to, um, sound like influences, you know, just kind of the rubber was starting to meet the road. Yep. Yep. Completely agree. Yep. Well, this has been a good one, John. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed this immensely. It's been good. I'm gonna go listen to some eighties, some eighties hair metal today. Actually, I'll probably put on that guns and roses album. Listen, man. That record from start to finish is amazing. Amazing. Totally it's agree. so good, man. Godly. Yeah. I mean, all, I mean, dude, just, yeah. I mean, I could, I could totally do that too. Yeah. Poor um, Dr. I, feel I, good. We'll do one of those. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so good. I don't, I don't know. I'll have to maybe do like a little mixtape yeah. version of that. Throw a little playlist <laughs> together. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. We appreciate y'all listening. We appreciate the messages. We appreciate the love you guys send out to us. Yeah, absolutely. And let us know some of your favorite 80s records if you're if we miss some some stuff that you feel like uh got uh got uh swept under the rug, let us know. Um we're always we're always here yes. for you. We always want to hear from you. Appreciate all the messages. And, and John, what is it what is it we say here at the end? We say we are out.